right, guys, how we doing? Yeah? All right, I got a little experiment I want to start us off with this morning. So if you're a typical nine o'clocker, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand? A little extra sleep. All right, you guys are doing pretty good, right? So if you're an 11 o'clocker, go ahead and raise your hand. This is going to be a special day for you. You're going to find out what it's like to beat the Baptists over to Taco Bell. Special day for us all. I'm excited to be kicking off these summer Sundays. It's nice to be able to be here with you, especially on Independence Day. If you don't know who I am, my name's Jason. Um, I get to run the uh, men's and community ministries here at the church. And every once in a while, I get a chance to share with you guys. And uh, what we've been doing over the course of the last couple weeks is we've been going through the book of Acts. And we've been seeing what Jesus did after he ascended and came back. And he spent 40 days with some, uh, some of his, uh, believers, appeared to over 500 people during that time. And then this really cool thing happens in Acts chapter two. We see the spirit of God actually come down on his people. And as Rick shared yesterday, we started to see that uh, uh, people were gathering together and people were giving their lives to Jesus. And not only that, um, we actually started to see that they were starting to heal people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as that happened, there were some religious leaders that came together and said, you guys, you guys can't be doing this. And it's exciting to see that this movement that's been starting in Jerusalem, it's going to stay in Jerusalem for right now, but it's going to be going out to Judea and Samaria and the very ends of the earth. And we still get to be a part of this gospel moment, this gospel movement, I guess I should say, 2,000 years later. And uh, I think what history has told us, if there's anything that history has told us, is that when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, there's going to be one of two responses. Um, the first one is going to be that people are going to respond to it in a positive way. They're going to realize, yes, I am in dire need of, of reconnecting with my God. I, I realized that I was far away and my, my sin put me there and he's holy, so I can't be in his presence and he bought me back and I want to be able to accept that. And, and that's what we are today as we come here together as the church. But then there's a second group, right? And the second group, for whatever reason, it may just take them a little bit longer. Um, they may not be able to make up their minds exactly on what they think about God or even what they think about his followers or what they think about Jesus. I mean, let's face it. If we were to do a poll of everyone in here today of how many times you heard the gospel message before you gave your life to it, sometimes it would be just the first time. Yes, I was there. I, I gave my life to Jesus right in that moment, first time. Some of us, 20, 30, 100 times. So the point of group A, the people that have given their lives to Christ, is not to look at the second group and go, what, what's wrong with you? What, what's taking you so long? It's to have compassion on them. It, it's to love on them. And even if this group starts to maybe even persecute a little bit, which is what we're going to be starting to see um, starting in Acts 4 and continuing on, it's going to get worse and worse as we go throughout the book of Acts. The idea is, is we don't, we don't um, return that, that hatred or that persecution with anything else other than love and with service. And this is kind of where we're at today. We have this early church coming together, starting to seek each other out for fellowship starting to seek each other out for encouragement. And this is where we are in Acts chapter four. We're gonna be starting in uh, verse 32. If you have a Bible, you're more than welcome to uh, go ahead and turn with that, but it'll be on the screens as well. And what we're gonna see is this church for about five verses is just absolutely crushing it. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Just, just as we just kind of stop and just look at this, the fact that there's no neediness. I'm sorry, just every, every once in a while I read scripture and I just get caught up with it and it's just beautiful. Um, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. Keep going. There we go. Oh, sorry. No, not quite, not quite yet. I got too far ahead. So, um, what? I'm only up here like once or twice a year. It happens, all right? So, um, so let me just give you a bit of context for what's actually going on here. Um, so what's happening is people have come into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they're coming from all over. And we have to remember that there had been a Messiah that had been prophesied for forever ago. We said that that was Jesus. Jesus was the one that was the Messiah. And as they're hearing this new message of the gospel, what's happening is these, these people from foreign areas and cities around, they, they actually want to stay. And, and really for them, um, if they change their allegiance um, from what would have happened in the synagogue as followers of Judaism to followers of G Jesus, um, they would have been kicked out of the synagogue. Um, and if that would have happened, what would have happened for them is they would have been basically unhirable. So the answer was, is like, well, what am I actually going to go back to? I would rather stay here in Jerusalem with all these other people that have given their lives to Christ, and, and I want to live lives with them now. And what we're starting to see is in the midst of this, as they're coming in with no jobs, there's a very, very tangible need that they have. Um, and so as they're joining this community, what we're starting to see is people that are living in this community, they're actually finding out about, these, uh, about this need. And, and what we actually start to see is that um, God's grace, is that, this is how it actually says it in the scripture, the grace of God was so powerful that they shared. See, their generosity was not out of obligation. What it was, it was going back to this ultimate motivating factor that God has given his, us his grace through Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, if he's given us everything through Christ, then man, we are free to give away everything through Jesus Christ. We can lavish generosity upon others that are in need. And we can all see that there's something attractive about this, right? That, that as churches move in this way and as they reach out to others that are within their own body, man, there is something there that people want to learn about. And, and remember what I said before about the two groups. This group, the second one, that may not have necessarily understood the message of Jesus at first, is starting to watch this and just going, how do I become a part of this? How do I become a part of this group that looks out for each other so well? And what we're seeing is this Christ-centered mission that is happening. They're, they're continuing on in the work of Jesus to seek and save that what was lost. And it's so attractive, more and more people are coming in, which guess what that means? More and more need is coming in. And the response is not, sorry, we're, we're tapped out. The response is, no, out of what God has done for me, let me go and sell some stuff. I mean, whatever it takes, I wanna make sure that you know that I care for you because you're part of my family. Now imagine what this looks like today, right? I mean, if you're in a community group or you have some people that you live lives with, imagine finding out that there's a single mother that's in, the, in your midst. You know, maybe her uh, ex-husband just isn't paying alimony like he's supposed to, and she's swimming in credit card debt. And so one day, as you're just kind of, you know, hearing these prayers, you know, we're having some financial problems. Wait, what do you mean by that? Maybe you go to her later just in private and just say, what's going on? Oh, you know, we're just, we're just having a hard time with these bills right now. I just... 
can't make them up on my own. I feel like I'm too far behind. Well, how do I help? What, what do I need to do? Do I need to sell some stock? Do I need to cash in on, on, on something? Let me make sure that you know how much I care for you. I'm going to willingly and intentionally handicap myself because I want you to know how much God loves you. And not only that, I want you to see how much I love you. An experience that I had uh, a few years ago is our car was in the shop. It was either for 20 or 21 days. I forget exactly what it was. So about three weeks. So it was, it was a bit of a long time. And someone in our community just came up to us and said, hey, we've got this extra car. Don't go through insurance. It's just such a pain to do that. You know, don't worry about going to uh, go get a rental car. Just, just take your, I asked him, is there anything I can do for you? No, just that's what a community does. We, we look out for each other. And it's out of joy that they would do this. And there was so much joy involved with the way that they would treat each other that we actually see that this is a very regular experience in the church of Jerusalem. And last week, as Rick is sharing with all the different persecutions that the, uh, the, the uh, religious leaders are starting to unfold upon this church, they start to say to him, hey, look, in the midst of all your generosity, in the midst of all your healing, don't tell anyone about this new message that you're giving yourself to. Man, that is like just trying to put a basket over a wildfire. You can't contain something like this. And at this point, what's happened is in Acts chapter two, Peter gives a gospel message, Immediately, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Little bit of persecution, like, like lowercase p persecution starts to happen. 5,000 more people give their lives to Jesus. And this is just simply, simply making them more and more excited about ministering to each other. And this is where we actually see this really cool example of something that happens within this church. And they just pick out one. And this is where we're gonna keep on going within the scripture. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's just a very simple story. He, he saw what was going on. He saw that there was need. He saw he had an extra field. And he's just like, look, I, just out of joy, I just, I just want to go ahead and give this. Apostles, you don't have to uh, use this in any other way except for the way that the Lord directs you. Go ahead. It's not my money anymore. It's yours. And what we see with this guy Barnabas, his name was Joseph at one time, but he was so full of encouraging acts like this that the apostles start calling him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Isn't it great to be around a Barnabas? Isn't that just the best thing in the world? When you have someone that every interaction that you have with them, it, it's encouraging. And yeah, there can be women Barnabases too. I mean, you guys all have that. But think about what that's like. You go out to coffee, maybe you just start talking sports, you just start talking life, and you come back to your spouse or someone that you love at the very end of the day, and you just go, man, I had this meeting with this person, and it was just so encouraging. What did they talk about? They confronted me on my sin. I felt amazing. <laughs> because you know they love you so much or whatever it is, no matter how benign or small that it is, they have that gift of encouragement. And the way that Barnabas was exercising his gift of encouragement was just simply by giving, simply by being generous. And so he sells this land. Everyone knows about it. And you know what they do? Not for Barnabas, but for God. Isn't that beautiful? That man, look at the God that we serve. He's so generous. And through Barnabas, he's allowing his generosity to be, to be made known in our church. And this is where it goes wrong, right? Because typically when you find someone that does something out of pure motives, 
There's always someone that there, that's there that's watching, and sometimes their motives are just a little more nefarious. They're thinking, man, it's pretty cool what everyone's thinking about Barnabas right now. What would it be like if I could have that too? And that's where things start going bad in Acts chapter five. And I'm just gonna go ahead and read Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't that money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied just to human beings, but to God. And Ananias heard this and he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those that heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband at the door, and they will carry you out also. At the moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. One thing I just wanna take a look at before we get into anything else is that uh, God protects his church. There's just two simple, simple uh, points I wanna make today. The first one being God protects his church. If you've ever had a chance to talk to someone about the Bible, this is probably one of those passages that they may have used against you in some way, shape, or form. And the question might be something like this. Why would God do something like this to someone who belongs in his church? Um, this doesn't necessarily sound very loving. Um, it doesn't sound like something I would necessarily even want to be a part of. But what I want to do today is I want to take a look at people like this. And I want to see um, why there actually could be a danger with people like this within the church. And sometimes... When God exposes the sin of some people, it's one of the most loving things that he can do for others that are in the church. Um, because the sin that they committed, yes, it was, it was lying to the Holy Spirit, it was lying to God, but what it actually says um, in the scripture is that they were conspiring to commit evil. This isn't something that just happened in a moment. And if you take a look at some of the scholarly works around Acts chapter five, one thing that most people agree on is that these people were suffering from a hypocritical heart. They were hypocrites. And while that, wor well, that word, hypocrite, does not show up within the passage, um, it's actually important for us to know what that word means. Um, it's a word we get out of a Greek word. Anytime a pastor can say something in Greek, they get really, really excited. So, you know, I just kind of had to go for it. So, um, so the word hypocrite comes out of this word, hypocrisis, and what it means is to act or, or to play a part in a theater. It means to pretend and so here's what I don't want you to hear today. I, I don't want you to hear that God hates hypocrites um, because ultimately compared to the holiness of God, um, every single person in this room, very, very much including me, um, is within a group of what we'll just call lowercase h hypocrites. And I don't mean that to minimize sin, but I think that's just something that with, is within our own hearts that we fight every single day of our lives as Christians. It's something we're called to fight every day of our lives as Christians. 
And the idea being is that, you know, there's this public persona that we have, maybe this private life that we have. My hope for all of us is that we're, as we're th- learning to think, love, and live like Jesus, these two areas of our lives are getting closer and closer and closer. That, that way Jeff and Tara Matson would call it, it'd be like shrinking the integrity gap, putting those two lives together. And what we see here is that Ananias and Sapphira had no hope of wanting to do that. And as they were conspiring against God, what we actually see is that these are the very types of people that we had been warned about all throughout the Old Testament. And what some of the warnings would have been back in the Old Testament are, hey, guys, you don't build altars in high places and worship foreign gods from them. You don't worship idols. You definitely don't take man's name and try to place it above God. And ultimately, what we see with these two people is that their hypocrisy has been a long, long process. Because if you want to just think of what it took for them to go from Barnabas to laying money down at the feet in front of Peter, think, think about all the things that they had to go through. First off, they, they had to witness Barnabas, right? They had to see the stuff that was going on right there. Number two, they had to desire that praise. Not, not that praise for God, but that praise for themselves. Then they're sitting down, they're eating dinner one night. Hey, I've got an idea. You know that lot of land that our grandmother left us years ago? That thing is worth a ton of money right now. What if we sold that and we told them that we got, oh, I don't know, maybe 70 or 80% of the actual total. We kept the rest and we placed it down at the feet of the apostles. And then we keep the rest and we'll we'll bank it for ourselves. Think about how much everyone will love us. And then not only that, the spouse, like when I have a crazy idea, my wife is usually like, no, absolutely not. That doesn't happen, right? No, there's an agreement there. You're saying, yes, I, I agree. Let's, let's do this. They shake hands on it, right? Then they go, then they sell the field. Then they, they bank the money and then they put it at the feet of Peter. This was a long process. This is not something that you run into just in a moment. So what we see here is we see a very long, drawn-out process with a hypocritical heart. So how does this happen? I mean, I mean, really, if we're really talking about hypocrisy in the church today, um, how do we get to this place? And I actually have a theory. Um, the, the, here, here's the way I like to put it, is that in churches or any organization, um, there's probably some type of language that surrounds that organization or um, something that most people know, even if they're not really that much. You could be kind of just someone just passively kind of coming by and you could glom onto it a little bit. So in the great, greater evangelical church, we have a lot of stuff like this, right? So here's what I'm gonna do. I, I'm gonna start something. And what I want you to do is I want you, if you know it, to finish the sentence I'm gonna say, okay? I, I guarantee you, if, if, no judgment if you don't know it. Okay, ready? Here we go. Start with an easy one. Jesus loves me, this I know. Nice, good. Not great, but you know, it was good. You know, so. um, another one very popular in churches, okay? This is an okay place to not be Okay, yeah, okay, so we're, we're getting it a little bit. And here at Rolling Hills, we have this as well, right? So... Together, our mission is simple, to think, love, you produce that in the lives of others. Yeah, there we go. So we kind of get that. There, there is a language that surrounds organizations that we can give ourselves to. We, we can learn what it is to act without ever being. We can get into the culture of church. It, it's a very easy thing to wear the t-shirts and say the right things and listen to Caleb, but what we need to make sure that we're doing within our hearts is not just adopting a culture, 
we need to make sure that ultimately we're going back to that motivating factor of Jesus is better than everything else out there and I've given my life to him and the reason that I do these things is not because I'm adopting a culture because I'm in love with the king. And what we see with Ananias and Sapphira is they didn't have that Jesus-led motivation. What they had was a motivation to be worshiped like Jesus. And they're playing that role. They're learning the to-dos of church. And instead of saying, God, your will be done, it's saying, no, I, I want my will to be done. I want the praise and the worship to come into me. So it's a challenge for every single one of us, right? I mean, as we talk about soul care within the church today, one of the things Pastor Bill has, has been challenging us with is just every once in a while to gauge the temperature of your heart. I think one of the things that's very fair for us to also be asking ourselves is, man, what's the motivation of my heart? And there may be days where we just go, man, I am just leading out of just a pure motivation of just being so satisfied in Christ. And then maybe a minute later, it just changes where we just want it. Oh, I want that praise. I, I want it for myself. And the job of the Christian is just to press into God more and more and repent of those times when we see it's more of me and less of him. Um, and ultimately also what we see with this, you know, I, I, I know there's been a lot of people that have said this is a brutal passage, but I, I want to just take us down just a, a, a wonderful experiment. Well, not wonderful, a wondering experiment. If Ananias and Sapphira are willing to lie to God, who would they not be willing to lie to? You ever think of that? Um, see, what I believe what God is doing in the infancy of this church is protecting it from some people who could do some real damage. Because one thing I think we've all found, business and the church, hypocrisy, it never seems to stop with one act, does it? It, it keeps on going. And, and in reality, if you want to put it in modern day vernacular, it's almost like Ananias and Sapphira or like modern day or like old, old school day influencers. You know, they're, they're, they're more interested in generating likes and selling an image than living in authenticity. See, love of praise coupled with no fear of God is usually going to leave a trail of victims. And you know what the scare, scary thing is? Is what we found probably within the last 20 to 40 years in the greater evangelical church, when you have people that are victimizing people based off of like who people think they are or just like not wanting to be afraid of God or anything like that, just more the love of self, the list of victims behind them is usually shockingly and horrifyingly long. So about two years ago, um, a very famous Christian leader died. Um, he was well, really well known for thoughtful engagement on college campuses. Um, he was an apologist. He would go out and he would defend the faith. So people would come and they'd ask all these different questions. He was just known for being very whimsical and gentle. And he was very well liked. He had a lot of books that he had written. And uh, yeah, you know, there were a couple of uh, uh, accusations, a couple of whispers um, a couple of articles that were written that were never really responded to by his organization. And then when he passed away a couple of years ago, over 200 women came forward and said, that man either molested or raped me. When they looked on his phone, there were just hundreds of images of young women in compromising, uh, compromising situations that uh, he had taken. And ultimately what it did is it not only just cast a huge shadow over his ministry, it cast a huge shadow over the name of God. You know, in the midst of all this, the reason I don't say his name, he's easy to look up, but there's very real victims out there. 
all stemming from a heart of hypocrisy. And my question for him is, man, if this is happening with someone who's just well-known and well-loved, could that possibly be us? What do we have to do to guard our hearts so that something like this doesn't happen within our church today? Well, it's simply pressing into Jesus and being open and authentic with the people that are around us, loving God more than we actually love ourselves. And what we see is that this leader and Ananias and Sapphira, what they actually share is a complete lack of fear of God. See, God means for his people to fear hypocrisy. He means for us to be afraid of treating the Holy Spirit with contempt. Um, If you actually look at the end of verse five, I'm just gonna read it for you. And, And great fear came upon all who heard it when Ananias had died. And then again in verse 11, when Sapphira passes away, and great fear came among the whole church and upon, and upon all those who heard these things. John Piper put it this way, this is the lesson Luke wants us to get. Faking faith in the presence of God is a fearful thing, not just because of what it does in our own hearts, but to the hearts of the people around us. So we need to guard our hearts from this. And we also maybe every once in a while need to guard our church from the Ananias and fires of the world. But the question becomes, if we find ourselves within this, how do we protect ourselves from a heart that's just gone astray? And this is the second point I want to get to you today. Is that community, first one is just God protects. That's what he is. He's a protector. Community is God's answer to the heart that is led astray. If you go back to that word hypocrite, you know, it's, it's, it's a theater word, right? It's about acting. You can't be in theater without being a performer. You know, for many of us, I think it's a trap that we just fall into at times. When we go into the work world, right, we're called to perform at a very high level. But then we leave that work world and we still bring that concept and culture of performance in us. And we want people to think well of us when we come into places like the church. But what would it look like to not have to prove yourself in everyday life? See, it's, it's about being a part of a community that knows you. They, they, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because it's based off of grace, quite honestly, they don't care. It is one of the most freeing things that you can actually be a part of. And you can actually go back into the Old Testament. Like King Solomon would actually talk about the goodness of community. And he actually does this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. This is how he says it. Um, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Although one may be uh, overpowered, two can defeat themselves. Uh, A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What Solomon is just saying there is life is so much easier when you're not trying to go after things by yourself. And a healthy and functioning community that could have been surrounding Ananias and Sapphira, they very lovingly would have said, man, I don't, I don't care how much you, I don't care if you sell the property in the very first place because this relationship is completely based off of grace. And friends, we need that grace in our lives every single day of our life. So um, earlier this spring, um, you know, I've been a part of a community group for, for years now, I lead one out, out of my house. And uh, earlier in this spring, I, I violated a boundary that I put up early in ministry. Um, when I was a youth pastor, we were living in the Bay Area at the time. I think my, my daughter was just about to be born or she had just been born, somewhere around there. So I was about 25 or 26 at the time. 
Um, and I just remember I had worked like 16 days in a row and I was just flat out exhausted, just had nothing to give at that point. And I remember going to my wife and I just saying something to the effect of like, you know what, this is just unsustainable. Like I need uh, to not be out of the house at night, probably more than like twice a night for ministry events and maybe like one more night um, if I'm having like a social thing or something like that. And she said, good, that's, that's a good rule to have. And so uh, this spring, what had been happening is um, I, I had first coached my fifth and sixth grade daughter's uh, basketball team. So fifth and sixth graders, and that lasted a couple months. And then that immediately went into seventh and eighth grade with my other daughter. So I had like four months of just like, boom, ba- basketball, like just eating, living, breathing, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and so as that season was coming to a close, I started thinking, oh man, there's so many more meetings I could, I'll be able to get in like the late afternoon and evening. And I started saying yes to all these different things. And then I, I started noticing, oh my gosh, there's this week on my calendar where I'm literally out every single night of the week, like, like six nights in a row. And, and just the way I'm kind of created, I'm a little more introverted. I find a lot of strength being at home. I, I love being around people, but Every once in a while, I just hit this point where I just like, man, I just, I, I got to go home and just rest for a while. And I just was not getting that at all. So the sixth night, um, I am just an absolute zombie when I come through the door at about 7.45 at night. And guess who's there? It's my community group. <laughs> and they're so happy to see me. Oh, Jason, how's it going? Oh, guys. Well, it, it just happened to be prayer time. Jason, why don't you just share with us about how your week's going? It's awful said, I have just completely violated all these different boundaries I made up with my family. I said, it's not your fault, but I'm your problem now. <laughs> you know what their response was in that moment? It was love. It was encouragement. I've got a community group full of Barnabases. And they stopped and they prayed for me. And over the course of the next couple days, I started getting these text messages just saying, hey man, just wanna make sure you're just taking it easy getting a chance to just love on your family. And you know what that brought? That brought clarity of mind. Gave me permission just to rest a little bit more. It gave me permission to go talk to my wife and just repent to her just because, man, I, I had nothing to give to her. I had nothing to give to the kids in the end of the day either. Something about a grace-centered community is a very powerful, powerful thing. And my encouragement to you today is if you've never been known by a community, it might be a time to go seek one out. And I'm not really you know, too upset over which one you choose either. Men's community, women's, uh, mixed community groups like we have here at the church. My point is, is I want you to be around a bunch of people that love Jesus. People that are just not satisfied when they ask you how you're doing and you say, oh, I'm fine. No, 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 no. How you doing? Really? What's the temperature of your soul? What's motivating you today in this, in this moment? See, that's how we grow right there. When there's a community of people around us that know us fully. And if you're still just kind of just on the fence, let me just ask you just a quick question. What if God is the one that actually wants to use these relationships to restore what's broken in your life? He's done it for a lot of us. He's done it for a lot of us. Francis Schaeffer, a great Christian philosopher, said it this way, because community groups not only uh, say a lot just within our own walks, it says a lot to the world as well. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. What he's saying right there, he's like, 
you wanna know what the final argument is about why Christianity is a good thing? It's about all these different people from all these different backgrounds coming together and really we have nothing in common other than the fact that we love Jesus. And somehow these people are living together in community even though what's uniting them? A God that's been dead 2,000 years? No, a God that's been alive for forever. And that's the thing that unites them. And when there's disunity in the church, when there's disunity in the community, that does say something about God. And see, the answer to hypocrisy in the church, it is, it's always gonna be gospel-centered community because we aren't impressed with you. And we're all in this long process of learning to be more like Jesus. You know, as, as a pastor, one of the most common things you hear is, why would I want to join a church because they're full of hypocrites? Yes, and we're fighting that sin every single day of our lives through the power of Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit. But the great thing is, is you know what there is? There's a permission there. There's a permission to learn to grow. There's a permission to seek other people out that are a little further in their journey. And there's a permission just to say, you know what, I'm not okay right now. And because we're not performing anymore, people are just like, that's great. Let me be there for you. Let me send you that text. Let me pray for you in this moment. Let me take you out for the lunch. And that's why community is the greatest answer we have to a heart that has gone astray. So my question to you today is if you're just coming here for the first time, who are you gonna let in? There's got to be someone in this world or who is in your life right now. And if there's no one, come and talk to us at the church. I mean, gosh, that counter out there is just full of resources wanting to hook you up into what it is to being a functioning member of the church. Did you actually know that the word church, um, just by its own definition, it means you can't do it alone? Church means gathering. So if you think you can just go ahead and do this Christian life alone, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be lived in community with other people. What I wanna do right now is I just wanna spend some time in prayer just as we close out. And um, there's a couple challenges I have for you guys. First one being this. Um, if you have found yourself just identifying with Ananias and Sapphira in this story today, I wanna give you some hope. Um, whenever I come in and I talk about a certain sin, um, I always want to give us the hope that this is not an unforgivable sin. Um, there was a sacrifice paid by Jesus for all of our hypocrisy, and he's inviting you to accept that right now. So it might just be time just to do a little bit of time with Jesus and just go, God, I, my heart has just been far from you. My, my motivation has been self and not you. God, rid me of this. Wash me clean, and thank you, God, for being a God who's patient with me. And the second response is if you've never been here before, or maybe this is the time that you've heard that gospel message over and over and over again, and you just go, you know what, this is, this is that day. This is the day where I just, I, I feel the weight of my sin, I understand I'm far from God, and that God sent his son Jesus to pay that sacrifice for me, that, that, that payment that I could not make on my own, and he bought me back. God, I wanna live for you today. So why don't we just go ahead and bow our heads and whatever business you need to do with God right now, I just wanna give you permission to be able to go ahead and do that. Our Lord and our God, I thank you so much for my friends that are just willing to come here just to listen to a book, a stories about a book that's been written 2,000 years ago, giving us hope, giving us hope that it's crazy of a world that that church was born into, it thrived. 
It thrived through people living just in full, authentic community with each other. God, I pray for all of us because I know just as we come here today, there's times when my heart just hasn't even been, been wanting to chase after you. I pray that our motivating factor in all things is Jesus Christ. As we go throughout the rest of the day, as we go throughout just the festivities tomorrow of uh, hot dogs and fireworks and just independence, help us to remember that we are very, very dependent upon you. And that if we ever start to think that we are just doing this all off on our own, that you will be quick to put a communities within our hearts, put it, put it right in front of us. Thank you, God, for being a God who's so patient with us, who loves us, and isn't sitting in perpetual disappointment of us. In your great name we pray, God. Amen.